with a weekly load You can smell a whiskey burning down Copperhead Road All right, and we are on. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Hardcore Troubadour. I am Brian Wallace. And I'm Tyler Short. And we appreciate y'all joining us. Uh, we got a big one today, um, or at least one of the, f- the first, like, big, big, like, milestones to talk about through Steve's discography. So we're going to be talking about Copperhead Road, the third studio album. For some people, the only one they've ever heard. Um, yep. For a lot of people, <laughs> I bet the only one they've ever heard. And yep. for me and a lot of other people, at least our first introduction um, to Steve and his music. And Tyler's got the LP here and we'll spend some time digging into the cool shit that's in the liner notes and the art um, in just a little while. But before we dive into the record, Tyler, how you been, man? I've been good. Um, I say before we got on, we were just talking uh, inclinations featured in this quarterly uh, fall issue of Revolver um, as one of the five bands to look out for right now with uh, Mind Force being another one. They're like yeah. the page after us and Dude. Zulu's like two pages before us. So it's very cool. I, I can remember like uh, like I because I'm so I'm so disconnected from the uh the zeitgeist in so many ways not being like on the internet all day every single day of my life mm-hmm. um one of the the barber shops in louisville um derby city chop shop which a bunch of my friends uh, cut hair at um i would sit there in the waiting room and flip through the revolvers that they had and yeah. i was like oh okay i've heard of this magazine and i would flip through and i'd see like um like knocked loose was an, an issue and yeah. Year of the knife was in an issue and i remember having this thought like i wonder if i wonder if i'll ever be in one of these things like i wonder if that'll ever happen for me and it did yeah. it has happened so Dude. it's pretty cool um the uh the person who did our interview uh uh mia one very interesting thing uh when we were on the zoom call they uh they started it was before because she or they did the interview with me and isaac and Mm -hmm. uh they opened up they're like hey i just wanted to tell you a story um they were in the states because they're from uh, england Mm -hmm. and they were in the states on tour with the band and they saw another band from like on on the highway were like stuck in traffic and they were yelling back and forth with this other band and as they're telling me the story i'm like no fucking shit we had been across like next to each other on the highway on inclinations first tour with vatican years ago um and just yelling back and forth to this this other band that was on tour i think they were more of like a pop punk band or like an emo band or something like that yeah um but uh but yeah they were just on the tour just hanging out and it was this crazy moment of uh of uh you know serendipity where um now being interviewed by them for a magazine years later and they're like hey we actually kind of met <laughs> dude that's like four so years cool. five years ago whatever however long ago that that tour was is like 2018 or something like 2017 i can't remember anymore 
Dude, I um, love that. I know, it's isn't that cool? World. Yeah, 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 insanely small world. And then uh, there's like a lot more press that I've done recently for like I think Brooklyn Vegans got like mm-hmm. a thing that'll probably be out for the record by the time because the record's probably going to be out by the time we're airing this episode because yeah. uh, it comes out in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it's been it's been awesome. Like uh, it's been weird having like this be like the first real big actual release of any band i've ever been in and doing press is very crazy it's never never have i had to do this much work which yeah. isn't really work it's it's just you know talking to people about the record but never really? had to actually do anything like that before so it's very very cool because yeah. it's like I've, I've done this for other people like talk to yeah. people about their records and um we do this pretty often talking about this this hero of ours record that's right so that's right very uh very weird to be on the receiving end of that Dude. and it's about me but you know that's very so very cool. very cool yeah man i mean i hear you but like and it it might not be work like in the sense of like the you know the labor you do day to day but it's your time and your energy and like you know um i can just say this like not just as your friend but as a fan and who knows a lot of other people who are stoked on inclination like people are really excited um so you know and i think the you mentioning like mind force and zulu also being featured in revolver like one it's just like it's so cool to see deserving bands getting this shine and kind of like you know like i don't mainstream is probably not the right word to use because revolver still mainly in the like mm-hmm. you know extreme music community yes. you know but definitely like giving bigger... some giving some shine yeah. and a bigger platform to bands exactly. that wouldn't have got it otherwise exactly and a bigger a bigger platform than just you know kids who are super plugged into hardcore but that mm-hmm. might um you know there might be some kids from like the adjacent scenes who are like really into it what they hear yeah um, man and yeah. i i know when we did the exit zero uh um episode a couple weeks ago um i i still hadn't gotten around to listening to it but last night i like or i guess no it was two nights ago i made myself sit through uh i was working uh overnight by myself and i put on the new mind force record three times in a row dude fuck so good it's so good they don't miss man it's it's so different than anything else they've done. And I mean, this yeah. is, this is now, this is hardcore troubadour, the, the podcast where we talk about hardcore music, uh, right. specifically, <laughs> but, uh, but man, the, the new mind force record, if you are, if you are listening to this as just a fan of country music, but you might have an af- affinity for metal in any way. Um, I, that, that new record is, is so many more things. I remember when, when they, released one of those comp songs i heard for the first time i heard bad brains in mind mm, force yeah and in this one he, like jay's doing different things with his voice he sounds yep. like harley on one of these songs like it's yeah it's it's chromags it's it's you know it's still like slayer riffs too but it is it is so many different things that i've never seen mind force tread into yeah and i i was just i was stunned and then it ended and i said again and again. then it ended and i said one more time <laughs> totally and i feel like i mean we could have a whole other conversation about jay's lyrics on this record which i've been a fan i need to pour over songwriting. those more yeah there's some i mean you know not surprising i've loved 
a lot of the stuff they've been doing, you know, for years now. Um, but it, it, like the music and the lyrics, there's a connection there to what you're saying, because what I feel like we're witnessing a band that is like truly locked in, mm -hmm. right? Um, just like performance wise, vibe wise, songwriting wise, right? And so they can, they've established their sound enough and like their vibe at least this is my feeling, you know, having had the privilege of seeing Mind Force a bunch of times now that when they take these ventures, like riffs a little different, vocals are a little different, stuff like that, it comes off as like a really cool creative oh, like, yeah, no. thing I rather just... than, you know, I've experienced some other things where I'm like, what are you trying to do right now? Mm -hmm. And this doesn't feel like that at all. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. it's it it definitely felt like they were they're spreading their wings on this new record a little more than they had before, which I think uh like I mean Excalibur is a next level next level record for a yeah. debut album from a band. And then I thought that the Swing and Swords, Chopping Lords EP was yeah. like, Oh, this is a great extension of what yeah. that was. And then this is just a whole a whole nother it's like the next chapter of exploration yeah yeah i uh I, I got the email that i ordered like this record and the volcano record and the downfall record from days and some uh, i think i ordered something else i can't remember um but i just got the email that that's shipped so I, yeah. i'm gonna wait till i'm holding it in my hand to really look at the lyrics while yeah. i'm listening to it but yeah because i always i always like when i'm listening to it to be able to and actually get get that like you know what we do when we do this is i hold the record in my hand while we're talking about it i think that's the better way to do it um yeah but i got the the notification from days that my mind force record is shipped so i'm like excited for it to get here because i'm gonna pour up the lyrics when i can actually hold the album and look at you know all the layout and shit because that's yeah. my my favorite way to read the lyrics is physically not just on google totally and i mean that's such an awesome connection um there too and just one of the things that's like as much as i you know like so many other people i think primarily listen to music digitally now even of stuff that i have the physical copy mm -hmm. and have you know bought it and wanted to have it i'm out listening to it you know in headphones yeah off of my phone more often that i'm sitting in front of speakers at my turntable but there's still there's a physical connection there that's yeah like you said just not replicated by me being like what is he saying right there and then going on to like genius.com and somebody yes. has like <laughs> put on a like i'm not sure if, if that annotation is exactly correct but i'm yeah, also and sometimes you're on... reading it and you're like that's not right <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I'm also, but I'm also don't have the energy to like edit it or submit yeah. a correction. So it's just going to stand <laughs> right there. So there you go. Well, I think Tyler, that's a good, as good a segue as any to talking about Copperhead Road. Um, so yeah, I mean, like we said, third studio album, a couple of things, you know, that I want to throw out there before, um, you know, we start digging into the tracks and, and I'm excited to hear what's on your mind too tyler um this has been referred to by critics rolling stone among them as earl's first rock record yeah. which is interesting right um because he says that too he says that too he actually quoted saying it's the world's first blend of metal and bluegrass mm -hmm. is, is what steve earl said about yeah. it um 
other just fascinating stuff here, like this record has a real side A and side B split. Absolutely. Um, that I think is much more pronounced than, than what we heard on the first two studio mm -hmm. records. Um, and then also like point of local pride, this was with, with the exception of Johnny come lately, which was recorded in London with the Pogues, which we'll talk about a little more later. Um, the rest of this record was all done at Arden studios in Memphis, um, which is, you know, if you've never heard of Ardent, you can literally just look it up and, you know, hell, even the Wikipedia page takes you, you know, everybody from Isaac Hayes to the Gin Blossoms to MIA to the White Stripes to the Replacements to REM. That's um, crazy. You know, Led Zeppelin did some stuff there. Um, he he talks in the yeah. interview I watched before we got on, he talks about REM coming in as they were moving from one room to the next. REM filled the room that they were coming yeah. out of. That's incredible. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that must have been for the Green recording as another like REM nerd, just thinking about the timeline. Because Green mm -hmm. came out in 88, the same as Copperhead Road did. Um, but Tyler, tell me like that interview you saw and then anything like, you know, from the liner notes of the LP, like I'm, I'm, you know, this is like we said at the beginning, for so many people, the Steve Earle record, either yes. their introduction or really the only one they're familiar with. And so like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like what other things you've read or seen um one of the things that i did see is um so it's produced with um produced by tony brown and it's recorded by this guy joe hardy who i tried to find a little bit more about but all i can really find is that he worked on um i want to say he worked on the next like couple steve Earle records mm. and then i'm trying to remember i thought i wrote it down um or maybe it was somebody later and who worked on one of the other songs is uh god i can't believe i'm fucking doing this yeah never mind it's um it's waiting on you mm. um the guy who who co-writes on waiting on you has a lot more um stuff whenever we get to that one but yeah i i couldn't really find much about the like the the um the engineer for this record or anything mm -hmm. like that the dukes are still pretty much all the same uh for this record um your uh your boy uh baxter's on this record yeah, man. That's um, my dude. but uh but yeah i mean as far as liner notes go there's not really too much that i noticed going over it's on uni which is a mca imprint and mm. actually like um that is part of the his um he had designs for this record because he had he had realized that um there was a station in chicago that was playing some exit zero songs mm -hmm. but it wasn't a country station it was a rock station so mm. he was figuring out that his uh his music was finding purchase in another scene yeah and i think realizing that country country you know classic country people were never kind of going to accept this you know long-haired hippie freak who is you know kind of questioning their ideas on <laughs> a lot of different things uh yeah so he i think like it makes sense you know because he's writing a you know a protest record that he would find it more appealing to you know people who are looking to buck the system a little bit more too totally um but yeah so when um when he was he was feeling like mca wasn't gonna wasn't gonna do wasn't doing well 
with him as far as country goes. So he he had approached them about going on onto their one of their imprints, Uni, mm-hmm. and the guy who um, the guy who he's asking kind of got like a smile and was like, "Well, you know, if you do that, it's got to be a rock record." And he was like, "Yeah." I kind of already had an idea that I yeah, was going to yeah. do something different, which, uh, which me and you had talked about this and possibly doing a bonus episode talking about the Springsteen effect yeah. that was happening at that time. That wasn't even Springsteen's fault either, because Springsteen was pushed into making "Born in the USA" a rock record. Right. And he didn't want to. He wanted it to be more of a a folk and uh, acoustic record, almost entirely. Are we frozen again? Okay, sorry. You're you wanna... clear on my end. Okay, you might want to want want to tag that right just there just it. now, just to mark yeah. it, just in case, because you froze for a second. I just want to make mm. sure we didn't. Uh, okay, we don't lose anything. Um, I think we're good audio wise. Let's keep rolling. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so uh, but yeah, Springsteen didn't even really want to go um go electric for that record, and he got kind of pushed into it, which I think is is a funny it would be interesting to look at how many how many people that might have rippled out and affected around that time yeah who, who were pressured more into doing rock and roll when they were trying to do something a little bit more folky and, yeah uh, yeah I, it, it makes me wonder a couple of things because i think that's such a good point and a good question tyler is this like you know i read a lot into not just the choice to put the record out on uni, but also to record it in Memphis instead of Nashville. Um, mm-hmm. Nashville being where he had, you know, cut his entire professional career as a musician after leaving Texas. Right. Um, and there's that part of me that thinks just knowing what I know, what I've heard Steve say, and so many others have written and talked about extensively just about the sort of the gatekeepers and the culture in Nashville. And there's a template And if you want to be a country artist, you got to go into this template and this is how that's going to be managed. And Steve, even though his first two records were successful, to your point, he was never going to be fully accepted, like Mm -hmm. in that world, right? It's the, you know, it's the rhinestone country versus the rugged rock and roll influenced country, right? And so going down to Ardent, in addition to being just like an amazing studio that a lot of, you know, huge acts had cut super influential and great sounding records at over the years i think there was probably an element too of like and they're going to let you do what the hell you want Mm -hmm. down there you know if you've got an idea they're going to mess with it because i was just reading a little bit about joe hardy who you mentioned and he was a longtime producer and engineer at ardent he died in 2019 actually um he was like zz top's guy for the oh, longest okay. time like you know so from for for all of their stuff and you know they're a band that all you know i don't i'm not nearly as familiar with their stuff as i am with steve's or anything else but i've always thought they occupy this really interesting space as well being like a rock band but they do the bluesy stuff and like there's also some country mm-hmm. stuff to it and so like sound wise and just in terms of like hey, it doesn't matter where you fit. Let's just make some killer songs. It seems like Arden is like- it's bar, it's bar fight music. <laughs> it's bar fight music, right? And hell, I mean, I'm reading too much into all this, but you, you know, telling that story about REM as well, it has me thinking about, they made a leap between Life's Rich Pageant and Green uh, that went from a lot more like, you know, quieter 
like mm -hmm. er, early alt rock when they called it college rock. I yeah. think at that point in the eighties to being like much more of a rock record that had some like poppy songs that started to get some radio play. Yeah. And like without that record, they wouldn't have made out of time, which was like their, you know, world changer MTV, you know, losing my religion. They're mm -hmm. a household name now. And they still very much weren't at this point in the eighties. Um, so like all really, I think cool and important context for why there, in my view, there are so many ways that Copperhead Road does feel like, you know, a continuation of stuff that he's already been building on Guitar Town and Exit Zero. But there are also a lot of ways that this is like moving into a new. Yeah, moving yep. into a, a new thing and where it's not just like, oh, this is a damn unique and cool singer and songwriter who can like toe the lines between country and rock and roll and instead like he is his own thing and yeah. he's like establishing his own like voice sound all those things um, which on, on the subject of steve writing a rock record i mean that was like what kind of brought me into country music in my you know mid to late 20s in the first place was realizing that i was such an affinity for classic rock and rock and roll all yeah. through my youth yeah. Um. The only pe like after a certain year, the only people playing rock and roll in the sense that I grew up listening to rock and roll were the outlaw country guys. Mm. Like that yeah. was where I could go to find riffs like, you know, S Snake Oil and Back to the Wall. And I could hear things like that, that that really hit, you know, that part and made my you know hair raise in the back of my neck. Yeah. In a way that like, you know. Allman Brothers did when I was, you know, 11. Totally. So that was, that was like this record. I mean, even though like my intro to Steve, like Copperhead Road was like a little down the way, like, you know, maybe three steps down the way from my introduction. Um, when I got a hold of this record, I mean, I listened to it every single day. Oh, yeah. Sometimes more than once. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for, for like a month. Like, instantly like steve Earl became the most played thing that i listened to and i just couldn't get enough of it totally it is you know i I've, I've shared that this was my introduction um and there was a huge gap in time between me knowing copperhead road through my stepdad and then like much later on as i joined half acre gun room and met brian hartley and others like really getting into steve's other stuff but like you this is where i always end up back you know, as much time as yeah. I spend with other uh, all over the rest of Steve's catalog. Um, I always end up back at this record. Um, I think like in like this is I feel like a good like one thing I would I, I think that like we could saying this, we can start to move into tracks. But the record is so cinematic that I think that's one reason why I, I could come back to it every mm. day. Mm -hmm. And as I started to like collect the story, I was, I was building this in my mind and being able to really envision everything he's talking about as I'm following along to knowing every single word of the, the record and really like seeing it. I think this is a very visual record. Like we've mm. talked about that on, on the last two, just how visual some of his songs are. And I think yeah. that like there's several songs in this record that like I can close my eyes and like absolutely like imagine the world that he's building absolutely and i mean dude like i got it tattooed on me <laughs> yeah like I mean, 
the fucking the sna- the the yeah. skull and the fucking like it's it it this this record changed me. <laughs> I mean, what bigger tribute can there be than that? Uh, I have in almost the exact same spot on my left arm. That's where I have the cover of Iron Maiden's Power Slave record oh, um, yes. <laughs> with uh, Eddie's hands X'd up. So I'll have to. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> that's probably been like of all the things I've ever done. One, you know, maybe there's like you know fatherhood, marriage, all that stuff. I'm most proud of of frankly like <laughs> coming up with that idea and then being shocked like how has nobody done this before? His hands are already like this. Why don't we? Yep. Have so, um, but hey, I fucking love Iron Maiden. So there you go. Um, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. So let's dig into the tracks, man. I mean, I don't think. I'm making a big assumption. You never know when somebody's point of entry is going to be. I'm going to assume most people listening to this podcast have at least heard the song Copperhead wrote, but like, I, like I, I, I struggle to put into words the way that this song and record open the organ part, the mandolin, the like solitary slow beat yep. that comes faster. It is just like the perfect buildup it's like eerie and mysterious and punching me in the face all at the same time yeah i mean and it's a it's a fucking long song too yeah. so like to be like your breakout song and it comes in at you know four and a half minutes yeah like that's that's an accomplishment to like manage that yeah that, that like that's that's literally one of your biggest songs one of the things i wrote down i i, I wrote a uh, uh, copperhead road is uh steve's wonderwall yeah it doesn't make it not an incredible song i think actually wonderwall is one of the worst songs on what's the story morning glory possibly because it's just been so burnt in my head it's so played out but, but yeah i do think sometimes copperhead road is played out Mm-hmm. because i've listened to it 1000 times and then listening to it again for this this you know experiment we're doing i was like nah shit still rocks no it still rocks dude it yeah still fucking rocks. i mean yeah there's no meme about somebody finding an acoustic guitar at a party and being like here's copperhead road here's copperhead i saw road. i saw a mandolin in the corner so let me bust this one out real quick um oh man couldn't do it but yeah the beginning it's intended what's interesting too is they're they're supposed to be bagpipes, but they're clearly not real bagpipes. It's a synth playing bagpipes, mm-hmm. but it like works so well for me for just like hit the melody that it hits and then the mandolin part coming in. And like, we had talked about this at, at some point as well. One of Steve, I think it might've been his first performance on Letterman um, around this time him talking about the mandolin yeah and like is the only two chords he knew how to play on the mandolin at the yeah time. <laughs> like here's me this whole time i had just been assuming like well of course he's a master mandolin player like you would be at everything else and i was like no he's a guitar player and he picked this thing up and he's like i can and just you know goes ahead and writes like a huge smash hit yeah with two chords that he knows how to play on the mandolin um what a piece of shit dude <laughs> right yeah like totally one of those dudes where i'd (laughs) I'd be sitting there in the studio with him be like man fuck you like come on you know like it's just it's just incredible and i mean 
there's the the buildup and then the story, which I feel like, again, I can't even like put into words, but you, you, you talked about like the, the visuals that it creates, right? Like there are so many lines that I've realized over the years that like stick with me or create these, um, the senses, like I'm, I'm think, I think about a hundred pounds of yeast and some copper line in the back of the truck mm-hmm. going back up into the Hills, you know what I mean? Out of town a couple of times a year. I think about, um, I think about the coat of primer and like what the, what the big block must've looked like on that Dodge. Um, I think about, you know, and that's all that, you know, the, the story of like the family's history with moonshining before we get to the connections to Vietnam and everything, you know, so he's already like painted such a brilliant picture in those first few minutes. Yeah. I mean, I just, I love it because it, it like, it gives, it gives such a uh, an homage to that living on your own terms. Yeah, that so many people in the you know Appalachia where he was born, all the way through to you know places like Texas where he grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, I like there's so many people who just like choose to be, you know, away. Yeah. And come, you know, come about their their living in whatever ways they can can make. Mm-hmm. And um, and just that's it's such a great uh, like it's such a great like transit transitory story of like, you know, like my 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 granddad was a moonshiner and then my mm-hmm. dad ran that shit. And then mm-hmm. now I'm going to I'm coming home and I've got a new idea on something, yeah. that, you know, a new angle on something that I think I can I can make happen. And we're notorious out here for being, you know, lawbreakers and shit. Yeah. Um, like nobody and, ever dude, saw that. Yeah. Yeah. But then just the way, the way the, I mean, the lyrics, like you, like the, uh, the volunteer for the army on my birthday, they draft the white trash here around here anyway. Like that's just amazing. Yeah. It's inc- and him, him being one who like just dodged the draft too. Cause like he just missed it. Just missed like, it. Right. But but seeing that, too, because like I think what else is interesting there is, you know, like you were saying, people that are happy going their own way, keeping to themselves. It was something like the draft, like the the sort of like the state coming in yeah. like that, you know, forced him out. And like, there, yeah, there's just that like I might. Well, hell, I might as well volunteer so I can, mm-hmm. you know have a shot have at some agency have some yeah. agency because they're gonna they're gonna pull my card anyway yeah i know they are um and like so again like the injection of like just class who can avoid this type of thing who can't um and yeah like realizing that him like coming home with this new plan um was like just a totally a continuation Right. And there's also just this attitude here, too, of like, you know, I don't um, I don't mess with y'all if y'all don't mess with me. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's the the the, you know, D.A.'s got a chopper in the air, wake up screaming like I'm back over there. Like, yeah, learn a thing or two from Charlie. Charlie. Don't you know, you better stay away from Copperhead Road. Like, I, I, I love I love that. And imagining Steve seeing like this, like, you know like the news flash of like a guy in his cabin getting raided by like 
you know atf or something and him yeah. probably being like well fuck i mean they they shouldn't have been they shouldn't no. have come for that guy i mean yeah this is <laughs> should have left that guy alone booby trapped and tunneled to hell you know it's like and where <laughs> and where did he learn all that stuff from the place that you yeah. sent him without a choice exactly. you know like exactly so, um like that that to me so it's like almost poetic right like you're acting like this dude and his family are troublemakers but you're actually the ones that have caused all the trouble mm-hmm. with you know whether it's the tax man or the dea or the sheriff or whoever it might be um so that theme of like the intrusion of the state i'm not here to cause any problems but if you if you come up around here you'll you'll quickly learn that it was a mistake you know yes. um and i don't know yeah there's just something there there is a damn continuation all from that to won't start no shit don't start no shit won't be no shit you know what i mean like that say that all i say that all the time yeah it is (laughs) it is it is a it is a way of life and it is like you know i i have dude i mean we've talked about how complex all this stuff is right my um my stepfather being like the only you know like dad figure in my life that i ever had was an interesting you know complicated dude as many like of his generation from the south are um but he saw a lot of things that i think a lot of his peers didn't fully get being like a worker a union guy and um like you know i wouldn't say he would never have self-identified as political right or Mm -hmm. anything like that but i have this moment that i think about and we've talked about this in the context of my sort of like re embracing of steve in the early 2000s right around you know after 9-11 launch of the iraq war Mm -hmm. seeing you know friends of mine you know get sent over most of whom had signed up just being like fuck it i don't have anything else to do maybe i'll get some money for college whatever Mm -hmm. um and you know and, and at a time where any dissent and even the mere suggestion that this war was a bad idea was met with, you know, like not, you know, like threats of violence. Like you are, you know, you're a traitor, you sympathize with terrorists, that kind of shit. And I remember sitting at my stepdad's house with him and we had like the news on somewhere around this time, 0203, right at the launch of that war. And somebody was on there talking about like, well, you know, the thing that's so dangerous about, you know, the, the parts of Iraq that we're making incursions into is like, we're not fighting, um, you know, like an organized army. It's just, it's, it's people, you know, from, from outside of, from their kitchen windows or like shooting mm-hmm. down the street. And he just kind of like stops for a second and he looks out into the yard and he was like, it was a bunch of soldiers from another country yep. walked out there. I'd shoot them too. Mm-hmm. And so there was just this awareness of like, it's, it's, the state and the elites who are making bastards of us all and those people that you're demonizing um are just like defending their homes you know and that it's it's there's just something there too about like you know this the character that steve is you know writes the line through like just sort of as he returns home from vietnam with trauma because you know Mm -hmm. cannot emphasize enough what it means like and hell, they probably knew what they were doing, flying a helicopter over there, uh, over his place that it would terrorize mm-hmm. a veteran like him, yep. right? And um, but being like, yeah, so 
uh, the, you know, the, the Viet Cong were my enemies because y'all told me they were my enemies, but uh, they had some pretty cool shit going on over mm-hmm. there too. I learned from, and so I've brought it back home because I have no interest in, you know, protecting nor attacking those folks on the other yeah. side of the world who are just trying to live their lives the same way that I am. Right. Um, so it was like, a it, again, we're talking about this one song, right. But mm-hmm. like, those are the things that over time, in addition to just being a damn good song, like what it brings up and those, like the deep connections beyond the lyrics even. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, 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 the, it's four and a half minutes and it's just perfect. <laughs> It's just perfect. And and that's to say nothing of, we didn't even talk about when it finally kicks from the slow build mandolin. Like dude, the guitar, part. when the guitar the, kicks in. Dude, the, the bah, 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 Like, God I like, damn. I for real will listen to that alone and pretend like I'm on stage at Madison Square Garden or some shit. You know what I mean? Just like <laughs> with the lights going, like, cause that's just like, oh, countries come to town. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And like in in that one song, he shows his mastery. I mean, this is where I can see it's like, it's the blend of bluegrass and heavy metal. He does it in one song, you know? Um, So what a ripper, I mean, to come out on there. This this record is great. We're going to dig more into it, but like, God damn. Yeah, I mean, again, another another perfect opening song for a Steve Earle record. Absolutely. Um, So let's move into Snake Oil then my favorite song oh amazing i would not have picked that but i mean i love it tell me more tell me why it's your favorite um way the guitar comes in um it's some of my favorite lyrics he's written um piano crushes in the song and really i'm i'm here for any reagan bashing (laughs) yeah dude like, but it's it, like one of the things I wrote is like, I'm here for any Reagan bashing, but this song is applicable to nearly all politicians nowadays. I was like, there's every single president since. Like, yeah, it's not, could not apply this to, right? It's literally all of them. Like, it's, uh, and it's also like, like you can almost change, like you can just change Libya and Grenada to, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever two countries or yeah. more that any other president since or before was, uh, was fucking shut up in. Right. You know, whether uh, we call it a war or not, when we're over there dropping shit, right? Like it would, but there's something powerful too, just about like, I mean, you, you talked about the piano and the guitar. Man, this shit just boogies. God, you know it what bangs, I mean? dude. It bangs. Dude, it's just I, ri- it rips. It fucking rips. Like, like ass kicker. Like this is a mm-hmm. this is a southern ass stomper. You know what I mean? Like the the way that the, yeah. the riff and the piano come together. Um, and you know, going from like this general snake oil salesman then to like mm-hmm. turn it into Reagan. And I, we've talked about like yeah all politicians certainly all the presidents this country has had but like the ain't your president good to you like literally that's some shit that like trump says at his rallies you know oh, what yeah. i mean he's like mm-hmm. your favorite president you know that kind of bullshit yep. like i wrote goddamn nothing's changed knocked him dead in libya and grenada too yeah you could totally sub yeah and man and those he, out. he he revisits this stuff that he writes in snake oil and like I mean, you could almost argue like uh, the revolution starts now is almost a complete mm-hmm. rehashing of an expansion on things that he pushes into in Snake Oil, you yep. know, and he had no idea what the world was going to look like. Absolutely. You know, 15 years later when mm-hmm. he's 
putting together uh or i guess no two, 12 12 years later yeah right. 12 years later when he's putting when he's putting that together well no 16 16, 16. So i think it's oh, oh 04 so when that comes out so like there's just there's so much about it that's just amazing like uh i mean yeah dude just the way like it's just it's so it's so funny it's such a funny song too yeah, the the op- the like his his little lines at the beginning and the end of the track as he's just yeah. kind of talking in the studio. I like you it. can just you can see this song being just a shit eating grin. Totally like, is the the whole song just like a little snarky, yeah, like just shitty fucking sideways grin. The whole song, like I can I I I get that look on my face when I listen to this song, dude. He's having this is this is the country rock jello biafra moment you know what i'm saying like he is and clearly just having a good ass time you know like i don't know how many times since anytime i've been in or around a studio whether i'm actually playing or not you know somebody will finish the, their part and i'll go i knew there was a first taker on this album somewhere. <laughs> yo it's such a fucking it's it, it that that makes this record feel so live too yes yeah. Like that, that, like just that little bit into it, like makes it feel so fucking live. It makes mm-hmm. it feel so like, like this, this really living fucking thing. Like even just how organically Copperhead Road builds up to this mm-hmm. thing. And then just to come right out of that into snake oil. And um, one of the things uh, like uh, on, on the subject of Reagan that like this, this song and um, there's a Gil Scott Heron um uh, song or poem whatever you want to call his music mm-hmm. um that uh that comes to mind it's off of it's off of reflections it's the last song mm-hmm. i'm trying to remember what it's called right now because that's it's my it's my it's my favorite gil, gil scott heron record but he it's like an 11 minute it's like an 11 minute song b movie b movie yeah yeah when i when when i hear this song i like that like some of the stuff that he talks about in B movie, like come like comes to mind just talking about how like, you know, like people want to go back. They want to go back, you know, even as far as last week, mm. like, and like, that's the stuff that Reagan sold people. He sold people that he was going to bring us back to a time when like America was working and profitable and, mm. and, you know, you know, and just, fuck man. And then today, you know, still they got people trying, you know, Liz Truss and, uk is God. literally doing economics yeah. right now like mm-hmm. fuck you yeah like people are gonna people are burning alive in their homes because it's so hot there or it was a few weeks ago now i'm and sure uh, it's, and now and it's gonna weeks, be so cold that they can't afford to heat the, they can't afford to heat their houses yes like yeah no it's it's just it's just amazing and sure they're gonna do something that uh that like you know alleviates the suffering but it's like can we just not have suffering yeah like can we can we as a modern society move past suffering we still have to have suffering to be alleviated from and we and yet you know these countries are so fucking wealthy and just Mm -hmm. so disgusting and you know the queen's dead and now there's gonna be a new king and why don't you just fucking sell the sell buckingham palace and use it to fucking use it to fucking heat people's homes like fuck you like there Burn a, Buckingham Palace, oh, and then dude. people can heat their homes with Buckingham Palace. Hundred like, percent. It's ugly anyway. It's all oh, ugly as shit. How many, dude? There was a. I saw a great clip of you know f- fucking uh, Charles 
you know, as he's getting ready to become the king, like going, you know, shaking hands, going around or whatever. And a dude in the crowd is like, um, you know, we got people all over this country that can't afford to eat and heat their homes. How much are we spending on this? And, you know, of course, like Charles keeps just like walking down the line or whatever, but like something about that props to that dude for saying it right to his face. There's so like my my favorite thing about British people are the British people who are assholes. (laughs) Like they, when, when like British watching British reporters grill somebody, there's no, there's no, it's like watching an, like a person in the cage with an animal. Oh, totally. And they will actually ask follow-up questions and not let people get away with Mm non-answers like the American press does. Yeah. It's unreal. It's unreal. Given there's also the other side where there's people who want to downplay, you know, the the heat wave that they had but this when when you watch a a, a british reporter go for the jugular it's it's fucking vicious it's <laughs> that's oh, awesome man, man. yeah snake oil um, is my favorite track on this on the record yeah it's not my favorite but it's it's high up there oh it's i know i know there. it's not your favorite i've got an idea of which one's <clears throat> your favorite okay well which we'll... one would you have thought was my favorite copper red road you would have thought copper red road yeah I think so. There's two ahead of that. There's two ahead of that. Ooh. Two ahead of that. Okay. I'll have to figure out the other one then. Mm. All right. Let's keep going. Yeah. <clears throat> um, back to the wall. This is what's, this is what's ahead. This is the, dude, I mean, another, <laughs> another rocker. You know what I mean? Like coming, this is, it's almost like, you know, you were describing like just how much fun and like the live feeling that this mm-hmm. record has right um it totally carries over from the snake oil into the back to the wall transition yeah i um, think it's creepy too totally because like, but i could i hear it and like like if like this is the the country rock equivalent to like creepy crawly moshing i could totally see that like but, just getting low and yeah. like slow and like just just scary it's scary yeah. it's so good i mean i think about i want to i want to hear more about that because i've never had that thought in connection but i was even just thinking about like you know um snake oil ends steve says his first taker line and then in my head i think about a live show and it's almost like you know when you're at a big like rock show you know mm-hmm. I, I think lights go down and then that yeah like the next one starts um and they're just they're loose the band steve and the band are loose but not in like a messy way in like a we're gonna turn up and have fun kind of way it's literally like snake oil into back to the wall is like for me it's the the spanish bombs into rudy can't fail dude like it's yeah it's just a fucking just it's it's like damn this song's so good fuck and this one's so good too yeah like in just that transition it's just so good dude uh i stole lyrics from this song on the inclination record no shit well i i i made an homage to this yeah. to this uh say so the um i i screen capped them earlier because i dude i haven't had uh i haven't i haven't had the inclination lyrics to actually look at in such a long time but the uh the um the line in the in the chorus that keep yourself to yourself keep your bedroll dry yeah and you never can tell what the shadows hide keep one eye on the ground pick up whatever you find because you got no place to fall when your back's to the wall the lyric i wrote is uh i keep myself to myself when i'm spinning out 
no one can tell that I'm checking out because I got no place to fall when my back's to the wall. Dude, it's I a song that. about it's a song about being like isolating yourself when yeah. you should be reaching out to somebody for help. Because in my head, it applies from you know back to the wall being a song about homeless people who yeah completely isolated from society and have no ability to get out of this because there's literally no one there to help them. <laughs> right. It totally applies, man. That is mm-hmm. such a cool tribute. Um, like, I mean, I keep thinking too, in addition to, again, being another song that's just like a damn rocker, both the verse and the chord, like the, again, I, I, the, the, the line I always use is just like ass stomp in the barrel. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I just, I love just like, southern ass rock riffs oh yes has so many of them right but like what's interesting too is i don't know if i had ever fully picked this up until i was given a deep listen um for us to discuss this record is like the narrator in this song like clearly he doesn't live down there no more Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so there's something about like i used to be down here with these Mm -hmm. dudes and I got to go back every once in a while and kind of it's, it, it seems like both, both check in with them and reconnect with this like Place part of myself yep. because like there's this attitude I get, which is the, yeah, I might not, you know, need to be watching out to make sure my bedroll's dry anymore, but all this advice still applies. Yeah. You know, whether and I, you know, and I love the idea of turning it on the, you know, they're nervous down in wall street trying to get it, keep it upbeat mm-hmm. um, but they just don't care um but now but down at the river eyes are burning it but uh they feel the tables turning so if you wind up down there i love that idea of like acknowledging the that's one of the things that like i talk to people about especially like when i'm like on my union soapbox at mm-hmm. work and um i talk to anybody who feels like you know who isn't pilled on, you know, thinking rich people should be, you know, lining up at the fucking gallows. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, um, I, I remind people, I say, yo, you're, you're closer to being on the street than you are to being a millionaire. Absolutely. Like, you got to remember that every single day that like, yep. like you're one medical emergency way from like your life changing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, and that's, and if I, if I, if I drop that on you and you're not receptive, then I know you're just, I'm not going to reach you. There's no way to reach you. Yeah. Like if you can't empathize with like how close you are to the bottom, then, you know, I, I have fun, dude. It sounds great to be that oblivious. I would, yeah. uh, I, 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 I was there once and goddamn what I do to get back, but there ain't no way. <laughs> dude. Totally. I mean, it, it, that, that reminds me so much. Um, it's the, what you just said, Tyler, of like, I think it's the John Steinbeck quote around about like why socialism's never taken root because we see ourselves as uh, temporarily em- embarrassed, embarrassed millionaires, millionaires. instead Dude, of an exploited proletariat, right? Just started reading, reading of Mice and Men for the first time two days ago. Oh yeah? Never read it before. I just started Dude, it two days ago. We'll have to talk about it for sure. I got, I was yeah. lucky to read that in high school and- Dude. Yeah. Nobody made me read shit in high school. And, uh, but yeah, I, I, I've got first, I finished the first chapter last or yeah. Like last night after I got home, um, 
I finished the first, or I, I, I can't remember. It might have been after I got home from work two nights ago. Um, fuck, or maybe it was that was last night. God, I'm out of brain right now. Um, I've been going in and working like all day, all night randomly yeah. lately. So like I'm mm. all turned around on what day is even a day anymore. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. When I got home from work last night, I finished the first chapter and I immediately like was thinking about back to the wall. Dude, like just list like these two guys just, you know, out, you know, kind of pushed out of, you know, the, the it just I, I I identified with their their situation of just being, you know, kind of like vagrants being pushed, you know, not able to stay in one place one too long because one of them just keeps getting in trouble. Absolutely. And uh, and man, yeah, I that's so awesome that you, you brought up Steinbeck because I. Yeah. Never, never read it before, dude. I'm so glad you're reading it. That's awesome. <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah, I, man. I mean, I, I firmly believe, like you know, Steve, through his music, is continuing a tradition of American storytelling that's very much in the you know yes. Steinbeck did it through novels mm-hmm. and Steve does it through music, but they are very much on the same you know, wave. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, and so it, it makes sense that people like us who fucking love Steve also love John Steinbeck. You know, what's funny, you mentioning that as well, the grapes of wrath is one of my favorite books of all time. It was like a true, like one of those, like class consciousness, like, you know, mm-hmm. if I, if I'm like looking back at my like teen years and thinking about some of the moments that like you raised my consciousness, that's one of them on one of my, um, it might've been our like fourth date, me and Rachna, my wife at uh, this small indie theater here in New York, they were doing a showing of like the old, like black and white mm-hmm. grapes of wrath. And it's like, I mean, again, like props to her knowing, you know, yeah, that I know sticky. now that she, she's the yeah. one, but I look back on that now and I'm like, dude, what the hell were you thinking? Like, this yeah. is where you, it's like, Hey, I was obviously have... trying to lose you. Yeah, I know. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I've got an idea for like a romantic evening, like out. Let's, you know, and, and let's watch, watch one of the most depressing American know, stories of all like, time. <laughs> watching me, you know, and her, like, we're just getting to know each other. And I'm over there, like trying not to show that I'm like tearing up during Tom Jode's last speech to his mom, mm-hmm. you know, and like stuff like that. And just like, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, yo, that's a good test. I mean, she got through that and she's still there. So that was it. 100%. If, that didn't, if that didn't get rid of her, then nothing was. I know. I mean, just it's it's really all about how lucky I am because that was like, you know, a again, like even though I would never hide my true self from mm-hmm. anyone, that was a a weird move for that early on. No, no. Dude, <laughs> me, me and me and Ashton's first date was Mad Max Fury Road. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny yeah we were just work we were working together and we were like we're, i was i was like yo i want to go see this movie would you want to go see mad max like i got nobody to go see it with and she was down and we watched yeah. him we were like fuck that was badass and then we've been hanging out ever since dude that's amazing yeah yeah i mean i did all i mean we could have another whole episode about this i we met online me and my wife and uh we met up for our first date in Tompkins Square Park, which punks all know mm-hmm. as like the site of so many things. Yep. But again, I'm sitting there thinking like, we had both just gotten off of work. Um, I was like, I had been like 
coaching teachers. It was early in the year. Things were like intense and a mess. She was in residency at a hospital, like doing, you know, similar to what you're doing, like at, working overnights, like doing all yeah. kinds of stuff. And it made the time for me. And of all the nice places I could have picked for us to hang out <laughs> in New York, I picked a place where we could literally hear rats scurrying. Like uh, we're like talking on the bench behind us. And I'm just like, yeah. So now we, I'll show you sometime. We have like a cool um, a map of the city up that shows like there's a heart where we met in Tompkins Square and where we are now. But yeah, I guess what you could, again, to her credit, clearly we're, we're together for eternity because she, yeah, that I mean, stuff didn't make her So leave. if you're listening to this and you've been seeing a girl for like a couple yeah. days, you know what? Take the risk. Take the risk, right? Because like- Show other, her the most extreme part of you that you possibly right. can imagine. If hey, you're- around her, he You would have just- There it is. Totally, man. You would have just been prolonging the inevitable anyway. Yep. Like it exactly. wasn't, I wasn't going to be able to, to hide that forever. The mm -hmm. first hardcore show I took her to was an indecision show. Um, and I also am just really grateful too, that she got the opportunity to meet Tom and talk to him as like the, like incredibly kind, mature, intelligent person that yes. he is before she saw him up there. Cause then instead of like thinking it was like weird or scary, she was just like interested she was like, I'm so glad you all have this outlet. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I think she kind of understood like, oh, wait, all of your friends are so nice. Maybe part of the reason they're actually so nice is because they have this. To and I'm get like, to be angry. At That's you. how I feel. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what can. That's why I'm like so calm and friendly and, you know, like patient with children, et cetera. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, but hell yeah, man. I mean, you got anything else on back to the wall? Nah, man, just, uh, oh, the solo rips. Oh, ripper. Oh, hey. oh, um, I watched the music video. And also one of the things I wanted to say is I watched all the music videos coinciding with everything we've covered so far. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Nowhere Road and Someday, I think, are my favorite ones mm. uh, from the past two. But Back to the Wall is the best of them all. If you haven't seen the, the music video for it. I haven't. I got to watch it. If you are listening to this and you haven't seen the music video for it, watch it. It's sick. It's like in a like a gas station parking lot mm -hmm. and he's playing two homeless people. Oh, that's awesome. Like it's in like they uh, they do a thing where like every every now and then they will like they like cue in on a person and they give like their age, like it, whether they're single or married, whether they have any kids and mm -hmm. it would and it says like homeless. And like, like just, uh, just it humanizes. Them. Yeah, they and weren't like, there as props. They're yes. human beings. And that was, yep. and that was one of the things. Like when I was listening to him talk about this song, like he wanted to write like a song that like let people when to try to get in people's brains if they see a homeless person to think of that person as a person. Right. Like yeah, very. The the are homeless person. Right. <laughs> that's the emphasis part. Like not just the homeless part isn't the big. Like that's that's what is happening to them right now or absolutely forever by their choice or by you know yeah. some people just decide to live outside and that mm -hmm. is fucking that should be an option yeah absolutely <laughs> the police shouldn't go through and just take their shit and yeah. take them out if mm -hmm. they're living somewhere it doesn't belong to anybody else and it's a public fucking space then fuck it you know like 100%. i don't know i uh I got lots of feelings on 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 homeless people and how and how we should deal with them and how uh 
how they had the opportunities that should be given to them. And I think the opportunity to uh, get mental health and be able to be housed in places that can take care of them, or they are just living out there because they don't want to have a job and they don't want to participate in society. I think they should be allowed to. Yeah. There's, there's, there should not have to be like a value judgment or a litmus test on that. You know, whether like people should be able to pursue whatever it is that they want and need to. Um, I'm going to assume Tyler, that we're probably very much on the same page about that, but like it, speaking about like, you know, it's the, I mean, the, the normalized acts of violence against homeless people, Mm -hmm. even in, and especially in frankly, cities like New York, where I live, where, you know, we like to have this reputation as some sort of a progressive bastion or whatever, but then you look at the way that unhoused people are treated. And it's that too. It's not just that like I made you move along and, and like messed up your camp or whatever, mm-hmm. but we're talking about folks who is like, so uh, this is a veteran and the cops came along and threw his bag in the trash and that's what had his ID in it. Yeah, You know what I mean? So any, any access he might've had to services. And so, you know, the yeah. same people who are hooting and hollering about support the troops respect veterans or whatever um or even saying things all the time about like well we should you know before we send all that money over there we should help you know the veterans that live on the streets over here and then when you say okay so let's help the veterans so that live on the that. streets over here they go well that's <laughs> socialism we wouldn't want that would we um but like just how it's 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 i mean there's no other words i have to describe it other than violence and the violence that's done against those people when you not only like take away their shelter take away what few possessions they had but also take away whatever means they might have had to like id you know you know any any kind of thing that within society you need to access certain resources um the only way that you can in your mind whether you are the mayor who's behind it the cop who's like carrying out the order or just a person who walks by um, and doesn't think anything of it is to see those people as not fully human. Yeah. Like otherwise you couldn't and, do it. And that's yeah. the thing that like the people who think we should, you know, take care of the veterans on the streets here before we, you know, send all this money the backwards way that they think. Um, but then the, you know, the, all the liberal mayors who run on, you know, I'm going to do something to help the homeless. And then all they do is the exact same thing that oh, was totally. happening before. They keep sending the cops in. They keep doing all the things because when it comes to them getting into that seat of power, they'll say whatever they need to snake oil to snake get into oil. that situation. And then once they're there, it's just status quo, business as usual, kick them out, keep them moving. Don't yeah. let them get any sort of roots. Don't let them stay anywhere any longer, like long enough to get like a, any sort of claims on domain and whatnot that mm-hmm. they might have for, you know, living there for a certain amount of time because there's all kinds of stupid rules for like how long someone can be yeah uh, somewhere before they've got to move along that uh that book that i was uh that i was reading before now i'm starting uh steinbeck uh it's called strong towns and one of the things that it Mm. talks about is uh it tracks how we used to develop um how we used to develop cities and towns over the course of you know hundreds and thousands of years to now in this American model of building things to completion mm-hmm. before we, you know, anything happens there. Mm. And it's like 
almost like homeless encampments like have the right idea for how you build a community you you start with things that can you start with little bets Mm -hmm. and you end up with a community that kind of ties together and takes care of itself and then at that point then you start moving to adding other things into it but unfortunately the police show up and they tear these things down before they get a chance to make more bets yeah on their their living situation and i think that truly to me just says that no no alternative to the american the the american lie that we've all been fed that we all need to work and pay our taxes and pay our rent and pay for our food and all these different things no alternative to that cannot ever be shown the same way we couldn't let any country that tried any sort of socialism we had to kill their leaders or yeah or coup them or do whatever we needed to do to mm-hmm. the show that there's no alternative we can't even do it in our backyard we can't even yep. let people on their way to work drive past a homeless encampment and go huh <laughs> right those people look like content <laughs> yeah well it, beyond that too man i mean 100 percent to every point you're making here and you know beyond like i said people who might be living out there by choice beyond people who circumstances put them there and they would take advantage of real supports and resources if those were given to them is that um, over time, the number of those folks living on the street who actually do have full-time jobs, you know what I mean? Has increased so, 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 so much. Um, I mean, I've worked with several people who were technically homeless because they were just between places or they didn't have, or they, um, you know, they lost their place, but this, they needed to stay with some, like, I mean, the Mm -hmm. amount of people who are houseless because they don't have a house of their own, they're just sleeping on someone else's couch. Yep. Like those are the people that get unaccounted for. Totally. And I mean, and even then that someone else's couch might be at the mercy of a landlord who could decide at any moment that they're raising the rent beyond something that they could afford. Right. But uh, yeah, yeah. Those, those folks don't get counted who are working probably literally in every town across this country, whether it's in your, you're either couch surfing or sleeping in your car and you, you know, buy the cheap membership at planet fitness. So you can take a shower, you know, like that's it. it, There's so many all over. Right. Um, So again, just another example though, of like this, what could just be a simple rocker of a song. Yep like has all of this deeper yes. meaning and humanity to it right yeah no it's 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 such a cool record man and the fact that we're only three songs in and we, we've been able to talk so many different subjects totally. and just yeah. that you know first 10 minutes of the record is unreal. totally i'm I'm not surprised this is definitely going to be longer than some of the other ones but i yeah. am not surprised by that at all Me um well let's move to track four the devil's right hand i think this is a close to perfect country song. Um, is this your favorite one on this record? It's not. Damn. It, it's not, but it's up there. Yeah. That was my guess for this one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I All mean, right. I could, it's definitely, it's top three. It's well, top damn. Three. Well, um, I'm two for, I'm two, I'm two for one right now. I'm, yeah, I think so. I'm not, yeah. I don't even remember how I'm doing. I don't think it's, you haven't, you haven't gotten any. I've gotten, yeah, I'm over three. <laughs> um, that's not surprising. But yeah, th- so it's interesting because like the devil's right hand still fits vibe wise 
with the first three tracks that come before it, but it's a definite. But he wrote it. He wrote it like in seventy something, right? Apparently. And it's like 77 or something. Right. So it's, it is, it is like the oldest song in terms of when it was written on the record. And it is like what represents, I think kind of some of the like first departure from there's three punch you in the mouth rockers Mm -hmm. on here. And then this one takes a turn. Like it's not, you know, it's not a, it's still an upbeat, pretty fast tempoed song, but it's very much a country song, you know? Um, and just another one of those classic like stories. It's a cinematic you know? story, man. It's a cinematic it's, story. It's, yep, exactly. It's it 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 is such a also like I'm. It's crazy because I'm looking at the the layout and whatnot, which is uh God the font, dude. The 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 font for his name. That's it. Almost looks like the black flag, doesn't it? But yeah, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I'm looking at it. It's just like the length of the lyrics for Devil's Right Hand is like literally half of Back to the Wall. It's yeah. just, it's crazy how much is crammed into such a short like amount of, of lyrics. But yeah, yeah, it's uh it's great, man. I uh like I what what I've one of the things I, I wrote, uh he he uses this song when I when he plays, he he nowadays he talks about gun control. Mm. And uses this song to talk about gun control, which I think is uh is cool. I think that's 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 a neat way to to still be playing a song you wrote, you know, so many years ago and yeah. update its meaning to having something more uh more than just like a because this song, you know, you could be apolitical and hear this song and be like, Yeah, that's right. badass. Or you could be like, you know, like, hey, guns are fucking dangerous. Right. And, and get people into trouble. Totally. Like that's the, the line. It can get you into trouble, but it can't get you out. Yep. You know? Um, yeah. I, I think that's what's again, another example of Steve can write a song that doesn't have to be like a bigger political point or commentary. It's a human story. Mm-hmm. It's a story about this dude and guns and his mama's warning coming true, you know, yep. at a point in his life. Um and and you could take it and find meaning in it just from that, but there could also be this bigger connection. Whether you know you're somebody who's like pretty staunchly anti-gun to someone who sees their utility to someone who's like all in on hey under no pretext you know like mm-hmm. either way, um, there's no denying that like there's been times that they've made trouble that didn't need to be, and there's been times that they might have helped avert something yes. else you know Absolutely. so um yeah but i just it's and i again like doing all this stuff with just such a damn catchy song and yeah, you know dude. like it's funny too yeah <laughs> it's another song that's funny i mean right because like him in court like pleading not guilty yeah because he's like i didn't i didn't touch the trigger only the devil's right hand <laughs> touched the trigger <laughs> not the, me the you know um um Went and bought myself a Colt 45, called a peacemaker, but I never knew why. <laughs> that's, that's so good. That's so fucking good. It's Dude, such a funny little song. It really is. Um, man. Yeah. And I th- so there's like, it's just so cool that one, I'm so glad he decided to put it on this record. Because with when you've got a songwriter like Steve, who's been at it for so long, like how, you know, I've always it's been such an interesting thing 
like to think about most, you know, or in, in, in hardcore and punk where most of my experience has been pretty much everything we wrote, we're going to record and play. Um, mm-hmm. And then maybe over time, there'll be some stuff that falls off and we don't really like that one anymore or whatever, but that's how it is. And people like Steve Earle and, and so many other like huge world changing artists, you'll find out later, they had hundreds of songs yes. that, that they went through, many of which ended up on a cutting room floor before they decided here's going to be the 10. Well, yeah, right? he apparently so, he wrote this song for a rockabilly record he did and then he and then it just went into like circulation like i i listened to a, a waylon cover of it mm-hmm. uh getting ready for this and I listened, to a johnny, I listened to a johnny cash cover of it yes heavily johnny covered cash covers very good so uh, good uh, i didn't really care for the waylon one as much but the the johnny cash one was cool he did he did he did a little different but um in the the interview i was watching where he's talking about the devil's right hand this arrangement of it is actually an arrangement somebody else did of it oh and he recorded it on this the way they recorded it different Mm -hmm. than the way he recorded it on on the rockabilly record which i guess is lost in the ether probably Mm. by his choice yeah Um, but uh and um and then since then i guess he he um i haven't heard it but uh on the brokeback mountain soundtrack he recorded another version of this song yes for that mm-hmm. so there's three versions of it and one of the, he he said that he's never recorded it's the only song he's recorded more than once and he recorded it three times that's amazing so i i didn't know all of that i knew i've heard the waylon and johnny cash covers mm-hmm. and i feel the same way i mean i love waylon but you know johnny cash sort of at that stage in his career had like perfected the art of, of making. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes. right. No, whether, you know, everything from hurt by nine yeah. inch nails to mm-hmm. um, rusty cage, like, yep. you know, making them his own. And so it's interesting that even this, which as a song is closer to Johnny Cash's wheelhouse than those other songs were still put his own spin on it. You know, um, what was Johnny Cash's taste in music? That's just, a good question. Just music. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, it seemed like he he liked anything, and it makes me feel like you spend enough time hanging out with Rick Rubin. Yeah, and you know when you're thinking about like, oh, this, you know, prolific, influential producer uh, is responsible for so much of my favorite hip hop and metal. You know, and him just being like, also just an insane weirdo. Um, on top yeah. of all that, it, it, that, that's the connection I see is I that, guess, I, yeah, that I wonder, I bet there was a combination of songs that Johnny had heard and loved and already meant something to him. And there might've also been stuff that Rick was like, you know, I bet, I bet you could do a really cool version of this. Yeah. And he was game, you know, I mean, I don't yeah, know that, that for, for a fact, sense. but I, I, when you asked that question, I immediately thought of Rick Rubin because he's just, that. his feet, it, you know, he has too, too hand, many hands in every world that's you know related to to music or at least like you know modern music right so Mm -hmm. um but yeah so like it's a i mean and i read who was it like somebody i wish i had had kept it up but as i was doing some reading for this episode too read about i think it was another um singer talking about the devil's right hand and then being like, oh, I really like that song. And I think after hearing Waylon's cover of it, 
and then looking and realizing like, oh, well, of course I like it. Steve Earle wrote it, you know, like not having even, so that kind of like, you know, those kind of like connections, like we've talked about the weird, I mean, obviously I think Steve's version is the best, but I always think of this example of like, um, Bruce Springsteen doing downtown train and me knowing that song for years and years until I realized Tom Waits wrote that song. Um, oh, and that makes sense. his version of it, you yeah. know, the, the music is very similar, but it's in his very much like that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so, you know, Bruce got, you think of Bruce or most people have heard that version of it, but Tom Waits wrote the song. Um, so there's similar vibes here, even though, like I said, in this case, I love Johnny's cover, but uh, this is the version. I don't, you know, we'll probably never hear that rockabilly version, but even just imagining it in my head, this is the best version. I already yeah, know it. No. <laughs> I, do, I do need to check out the Brokeback Mountain version just to see what's different. I, I wish I had thought yeah, to I'm, do that before this. I'm I curious. Just, like, just it, learned about it right before we got on here. So Yeah, and now my mind's going like, did it? was it just on the soundtrack or did it actually play at any point in the movie? Like I, yeah, I you know, it's know. been such a long time since I've seen that. So yeah, um, same. right on. Well, let's move on to Johnny come lately. Um, this one's my favorite, man. Okay. This yeah. was the other one I suspected might be yeah. it also, I guess all the con you see, I, I made that call before you sent me the video on the post. Yeah. So like I can see this, this it's, it's such a good story, man. It, like not just the song's a good story. Mm-hmm story of the song is a good story yes exactly um so uh, yeah a couple of things this is the track that i probably in preparation here nerded out on the most and like yeah there were things i knew i loved i loved the story the lyrics i knew i loved the song and i had known for a long time that the pogues were the like the backing band mm-hmm. um and so like we mentioned earlier this was the only song that was uh, recorded separately, not at Arden in Memphis. It was done in London with the Pogues. Um, but yeah, Tyler was referring to this video that I randomly found um, down a YouTube hole. I think it is funny. This is, you know, there's times when you're like looking for something. And this was a time that I feel like the algorithm just read me correctly and knew that this is something that I would be interested in. So um, if you if you put in YouTube, just like, you know, Steve Earle, the Pogues, Johnny Come Lately, you get an awesome 10 minute, like 10 minutes of studio footage, including like a little very bit. Very sporadic too. Very sporadic, <laughs> cut really weirdly. You know, there's some interview footage with Steve where he kind of talks about, you know, how the idea came together. And I also love how he talks about the the dude in the Pogues named Spider here, Spider. Um, like Steve is like full on, you know, with the accent, um, but like, Shane McGowan rolling in looking like he just, you know, crawled out of a dumpster, but then like nailing his banjo part immediately. Um, Steve has the sickest Metallica shirt on. Um, But like there was something that I found um, related to this. So they had Steve when the Pogues re um, released a remastered version of if I should fall from grace with God in 2004 they had Steve write the like in the liner notes. Oh, that's sick. It. Um, and so if it would be cool if I read just like a little. Oh, fuck. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I, I'm, I've been waiting to be able to read 
steve's thoughts on things awesome on, yeah so on, on the show so this will be the first one i thought i was gonna awesome. get it next episode hardway has an intro writ written i was so excited well, cool you read my friend okay we'll do that and hey and that will actually be from one of steve's records because yeah. this is steve's writing but it was in a pogues record um all right so i met the pogues in london in emi abbey road studios in 1986 while they were recording demos for what would become if i should fall from grace with god it was late, well after midnight, and the journey out to St. John's Wood through an impossibly proverbial London fog took on the air of a secret mission in a black and white spy movie, all very hush-hush and deliciously clandestine. I presented myself to the uniformed security guard, and I actually caught myself whispering as I announced Steve Wood, Steve Earl, to see the Terry Woods court, Quartet in the penthouse. They were under a pseudonym. The elderly uniformed guard looked at me like I was a fucking idiot. Oh, the Pogues? Yeah, top of the stairs to the right. Can't miss it. Half of fucking London's up there. For the next couple of years, we bumped into each other now and then in the middle of the night on one side of the pond or the other. Well, okay, sometimes it was a little harder than a bump. By the time we recorded Johnny Come Lately together for my Copperhead Road album, If I Should Fall From Grace With God was out and the boys were playing six nights during the week of St. Patrick's Day at the Old Town and Country Club in Kentish Town. It was a magical week. Kirstie McCall was there to sing Fairy Tale of New York with Shane every night, and the encores included Message to Rudy featuring the specials horn section and I Fought the Law with Joe Strummer himself running the band. Yo! Right? That is so fucking cool. Can you imagine? Dude, the specials thing. That is so fucking sick, Dude, too. Oh, the, that's awesome. The Pogues, the specials, Joe Strummer, Yo. and Steve Earle uh, on stage every night. Fuck so, off. Dude, right? Like, that's all you can say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went out and sang Johnny with the band on each of the first three shows. And then on the morning of the fourth day, having worked out most of the kinks in front of 6,000 people, we recorded the track at Livingstone Studios. So that's what the video's from. Um, so they were in the midst of that. We stayed up all night that night. And the next morning, Spider poured me into a cab for Heathrow. And I only just made my flight back home to the States. That night was the big St. Paddy's Day finale at the town and country. Somehow, in the confusion, no one bothered to inform Terry Woods, who had insisted on introducing me every night, that I was no longer in the country. Please welcome, he rasped, a good friend of ours from the great state of Texas, Steve Earle. And fucking nothing happened because I was already halfway across the Atlantic <laughs> nursing a hangover that registered about a 7.4 on the Richter scale. It took me about a week to recover, and I'm sure some of the damage that I sustained that week was structural and permanent, but it was worth it. For four minutes on four consecutive nights in the spring of 1987, I had been a pogue. That is so fucking cool, right? That's God. What a fucking dude. He's he's amazing. I I literally while we're talking, I'm just downloading Pogues records to listen to at work tomorrow, dude. Um, so you good. got a fa you got a favorite Pogues record? Um, my favorite Pogues records are "If I Should Fall from Grace with God," um, "Rum Sodomy and the Lash." um and let me see which one a uh, hell's ditch hell's ditch is my favorite because sunny side mm. of the street is my favorite oh, poke song such a good song it's yeah. my favorite poke song it was in it was in one of the first skate videos i ever owned um that's awesome yeah i love the uh, idea of that in a skate video yeah um fuck uh black label label kills um fucking I'm blanking on the, the skater's name. I think it's Jay Adams. I think that was mm. those who skated to it. Um, such a sick. Um, no, no, no. It was Matt Hensley. Jay, Matt Adams, Hensley. Skates to, uh, Jay Adams skated to uh, 
uh devil went down to georgia oh <laughs> it's a very sick part also that's amazing yeah i love that they um i got to so there was a while that the pogues were doing when i first moved here to new york a string like for a, like three years straight i got to see them do st patrick's day shows at the hammerstein ballroom oh, that's um, so cool it was so cool and here's the thing too man like now i don't think i could tolerate that crowd for a second uh-huh. it was the sloppiest drunk yeah, just I'm insane sure. but i was just like i'm in fucking new york city seeing the pose yeah. you know and and so it was awesome but i remember um they the first night that i saw them opened with boys from the county hell um which just is you know it's an in addition to being a banger of a song the lyrics are like really intense and they had to roll shane out in a wheelchair because he had injured himself like in a drunken stupor before but he still like did the whole set and from what i've seen recently seems to be doing some better you know he got his teeth he got new teeth um, no shit so he i mean he really doesn't even look like himself anymore yeah. um but it was yeah killer show so again it's one of those things that like makes sense like you know i knew the pogues were on the song i didn't know how deep their kind of like connection yeah. and friendship went but to to think about like holy shit 1987 going to a show to see you know the pogues do this like yeah. residency you know several nights at this club and oh here's the specials oh here's joe strummer oh here's steve earl like just doing incredible. a song that that nobody knows at that point nobody because they're just practicing this yeah. pretty much they're just trying this song out they practiced amazing. it three times and then we're like okay i think we're good let's record it tomorrow morning Fucking um, amazing dude that's so cool yeah uh spider stacy's in uh in treme oh in the show treme yeah yeah he's, uh he's he he comes and hangs out with steve and the other in the uh the girl who steve's busking with and plays the plays the fucking pan flute dude with, with them on awesome. the street and then uh and then after he uh he passes he come he shows back up for his funeral in the in the show too and it's pretty cool he, he i think he's in two episodes that's awesome Maybe three i can't remember it's uh it's sick though we were literally we we're watching it and this and this like fucking irish motherfucker shows up and i go i don't know who that is but i know he's in the pogues and, he's I, in the pogues. and I was like yeah. i was like okay there it is you nailed it, dude. Hundred <laughs> percent. Because he's old as shit now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some rough-looking dudes, uh, oh, yeah. and even were in the like in the '80s, and some yeah. some of them. You know what I mean? But yeah. like, that's the other thing too, is like, I mean, I don't know. Again, I have such limited studio experience, but I so most of it has been like, okay, let me try to get this part down. Okay, let's fix that part. Let's like you know punch in this or whatever, and to watch all of them just come in and do it live. Yeah, yeah fuck off. set up and did all it. of them in, in different areas of the studio but all fuck at once yeah. and steve Amazing. playing guitar and singing and just so like cool nailed it you yeah, know i was gonna say i highly i highly recommend anybody listening to this to fucking look up that video it's fucking yeah awesome. it's only 10 minutes long but it's like so cool um yeah. and then i mean um, go ahead oh just like i didn't like any any interview like you can listen to where he talks about this like basically like the idea for this song was hanging out like the hotel where he stayed at when he was over there was like a a place where like all the 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 pilots in world war ii for the u.s stayed so like yep. he just dreamt up this story for you know like what it would be like to 
come over and you know fight and he still even sews in another vietnam yeah reference at the end of the song like i think the lyrics of the song are so fucking cool too and uh one of the things i wrote is like the juxtaposition of this song too compared to copperhead road like a war worth fighting versus a war that was a complete mistake 100 percent. like i i i really like because i mean no matter what you feel about war and world conflict even the fucking awful things we did it specifically fucking well most of them were british bombers with what they did in their air campaigns but like when it came to these air campaigns like there were a significant amount of awful things that happened but mm-hmm. fighting <laughs> fighting germany was yeah it was a worthwhile fight to be yes i agree i yeah. mean those are people's the i've my my history teacher used to the the last and perhaps only just war um, we've yeah. had in the history of this country and like um but that's the thing too like the, the contrast of not just the wars themselves but also the reception as a veteran right mm-hmm. like so sort of like coming back from world war ii to fanfare parades being celebrated um coming back from vietnam like you know alone um and 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 i and i know like a lot of that like that um like great betrayal shit that like got spread around for like was like a lot of that was made up like people weren't spitting on vietnam yeah the the baby killer thing yeah yeah, a lot of that stuff was made up but the that the 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 thing that got robbed from that generation of people who were like gung-ho for war was a ve day totally yeah, that was that was the thing is they all came home expecting yeah. to be celebrated, but the war didn't fucking end. No closure at all. <laughs> there was Not, no yeah. there was no victory in that war. There was um, no pl- pinpoint celebration moment. Yeah. Like um, so like I think that was another thing where like an entire generation at that time got disillusioned, mm-hmm. but like but directed it all in the wrong direction. Totally. A hundred percent. Like, again, instead of the, you know, the pointing the finger at the powers responsible for us or the, or the fucking Henry Kissinger, who is somehow still alive, alive! will live to be 140 years old, like that Uh. motherfucker, like, you know, directing it at the folks and who even, even in contrast to even more recent wars, like many of whom had literally no choice as they were drafted and like, sent over you know um yeah i had i have an uncle who's in vietnam um and we're not particularly close he just didn't want to talk about it ever he just didn't want to talk about any of it he didn't he had you know a group of friends that he would meet up with every once in a while but like you know had got sure they didn't i'm sure they got together and didn't talk about it no i think they (laughs) (laughs) drank beers and stared at a ball game you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like but like the uh you know would get invited to like you know veterans day parade you know stuff like that and just was never like was like i'm not i'm not interested in this very much you know and i had once i i have i think one of the reasons this comes up is because i had um an assignment in school at one point where i i wanted to interview a veteran and I had already done something with my grandfather 
who's no longer living, who was in World War II and fought in the Pacific. Um, and he was, you know, who was like, I mean, here's the country who was like very forthcoming. And he told mm-hmm. stories and he told he told crazy stories. He told kind of like heroic stories, but clearly like, you know, was he, he had the pictures of him, you know. Was he White- Navy? Was he Navy Marines? Or- yeah, he was Navy. Navy, cool pictures of him at the white house for something like pictures of him. An author had written a book about when um, he had saved a couple of other sailors whose boat had capsized and like, you know, so just he, I mean, he was a badass dude, you know what I mean? Um, But like had given me so much. And then talking to this uncle of mine who was in Vietnam, just, you know, he wasn't mean or anything. He, you know, Mm -hmm. treated me kindly as a kid. He was like, Brian, I'd really rather not. And I yeah. was like, okay, uh, I guess I'll talk to my grandfather again because he's the only other veteran in my family, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, it, it really captures that. I mean, just that, that's and so that's coming around to why it's like my favorite. I think there's just like the bigger aura of like how the song was written, the Pogues being on it, and again, it's still being like you see too these deep connections that are like true in history between traditional Irish music and bluegrass, right? Mm-hmm. It being like, oh yes, this dude. was, this was mm-hmm. that music. It was yep. these people who came here and like it evolved from that. And so there's yep. something really powerful about that to me. Oh too. no, dude, it, it really is. It's such a cool partnership of a song. It's yeah. Phenomenal. I, uh, yeah, it's, I, I think, I think we covered it as much as, as much as we could. I do love, I, I even see it as like a little bit of shade, the, uh, the line, uh, well, it took a little while, but we're in this fight. <laughs> like, yeah. The acknowledgement that like, we were slow to get involved in this one. We tried to stay out as long as we totally. could. Totally. Trying to make as much money as we could before we got in the fight. hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. Trying to make as many of those guns and and do as much of that uh, war profiteering as we could before we had to get our own guys killed. Actually, get our own guy. Yeah, because right, that's yeah. the thing to remember. Like we knew, we knew what uh, the Nazis were doing to Jewish folks and others for a long time before we intervened. It wasn't Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Was was the you know the the catalyst for mm-hmm. America to finally get involved. Um, yeah. Damn. All right. That's side A. Damn. That's side A. And um, here we go to side side B. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ride this because I'm gonna contradict things at some point. Okay. But I'm gonna ride it the way I wrote it, just because I think it'll 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 show how I feel about this side let's, of the record. Let's do I it. wrote second half of this record bores the crap out of me. Dude, I could literally I was struggling in many places to find positives but so but even when i'm blue i do like this song i think the electric guitar in it is i I wrote the electric guitar on this track bangs yeah and i wrote this is another extension of fearless heart i could see that it is like it does not touch fearless heart in terms of like but how good of a song but it's very much in that vein but where yeah. we we talked about um fucking what what song was it on Exit Zero that I I said was a spiritual sequel, um, oh, it is not Exit Order, of course of course when you accidentally do when you accidentally search something on uh on Spotify but so it just what, goes was to, it it San goes Antonio to a punk band 
it, than Antonio no, Brown? It was, I, I ain't never, is, I ain't never satisfied. I ain't never satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. never satisfied. That was that was what I thought was an, a spiritual sequel to uh, to Fearless Heart. And I think even when I'm blue is another extension, another chapter of Fearless Heart. Not I could as good. That. Yeah, another chapter. I mean, Scream Three wasn't nearly as good as Scream One or Scream Two. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. That's fair. Scream Four though got me back. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Um, it's pretty fucking. Good. I I believe you. I I'm, I'm I have no it's, doubt I would enjoy it. It. It gets even more self-aware than Scream Two was. Ah, oh, very cool. I think yeah, I dig that for sure. It's it's pretty it's pretty funny as far as that goes. Um, well, but yeah, but yeah, that's that's all I really a, got on. It, even when I'm blue, it's a short song. I wrote too. it's a short song. I wrote a solid love song again because yeah. there's something mm-hmm. too about like even even when some of we've talked about sometimes like I feel like sometimes Steve is a victim of his own excellence. Yeah. So it's something that he writes like this, which is like this is a good song. Um, mm-hmm. But it just pales in comparison to the incredible songs that he's written, you know, overall. Right. But I'll um, say like, I, I wrote like, fuck, like I got into it and I went, as soon as this song started, I went, oh yeah, this record, the second half just fucking bores me. But then immediately was like, but I do like this song. I like this. And so that's, I think that's a good contrast here. Right. Because I like, even when I'm blue, I don't love, but I like, even when I'm blue, mm-hmm. if I had to skip anything on the record, it would be, you belong to me. Okay. Um, the next song. So this song has programmed drums. I just learned that. Yeah. Also, I wrote, not going to lie, the beginning of this song always reminds me of Faith by George Michael. Dude. 100%. <laughs> I always think that's going to be what comes next. Dude, I totally agree. And I just wrote like, you know, the melody's weird. The drums are weird. It sticks out like a sore thumb. So this is an example, not of like, um, I don't, you know, I always tell myself these stories of what like might've been happening in the studio or whatever. Mm-hmm. And instead of it being like all these other examples we have where it's like, Steve is like, yeah, I can branch out into this style of music and master it. It was almost like we have this synth. What if we use yeah. that on something? And it was like, well, uh, and, <laughs> and one of the people who was, who was, who was a part of you belong to me, uh, existing was like, uh, I can't remember that. I, I just listened to him tell the story of the guy's name and whatnot, but that guy was like really interested in all that modern stuff that was happening in the late eighties, like the time. fears yep. and stuff. So like, that was kind of a little bit of the influence of him, uh, doing that. But then legitimately I wrote also, I lied now that I'm listening to it and digging, I do like some of the second half of this record. It just rocks less. <laughs> It just rocks less, right? Like I, I do, I, I do think though. You belong to me. If if this is if this is a skipper for you, the only thing that would maybe keep me from skipping the vocal patterns and delivery on this song are very interesting and impressive. Interesting, I'll agree with. Impressive, not so much. I just don't. I just really don't like it. You really um, don't like it, okay? I really don't. It's like maybe one of the few steve songs that were instead of being like oh this isn't as good as other stuff i'm like dude this just missed for me um but yeah it's definitely i can totally hear everything you're saying there too though just about like um it feels of the time you Mm -hmm. know like what everything else that was coming out at this period well had then that there's a reason for that and it's because of the influence you had on on writing it absolutely so there's in if we can move ahead to waiting on you, I have some things about this song actually that I, I, I think are interesting. So I, 
again, this is good. Waiting on You, the eighth track, is going to fall into the category, again, of, of songs that I don't love, but I like. Um, so here's some stuff around this. There's like this epic organ buildup in this. And the same way as we were talking about on You Belong to Me, there being this like synth, you know, you can hear the Tears mm-hmm. for Fears new wave stuff. I hear U2's The Joshua Tree okay. um, right here, which was like, you know, at this point, like the biggest record in the world, you know, it was like what had propelled them to start playing in a- arenas or, you know, stadiums and shit, yeah. right? And like Love or Hate U2, there was something there. I love The Joshua Tree. Dude, <laughs> me too. Thank you. Um, I love a lot of you too, actually. Um, I think so. I can get down with a little bit before that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it loses me in the nineties. There's some weird stuff, but I, you know, there, and I say this too, like I got to, so I saw them on the Zuropa tour. I think it was. Anyway, they came like Bono came out in like a lemon that came down from like mm-hmm. the sky you know who the opener was who rage against the machine no shit that's yeah. sick so that's, that's pretty badass i like i was in middle school um and we were in the liberty bowl stadium in memphis and i was in the nosebleeds you know what i mean um with some family friends but that was actually my first time seeing rage against the machine was opening for you too on that tour sick. Um, so it just to see rage against the machine yeah, sick that they brought them out Right, That's like I, I mean, it, yeah. it that tracks though. With, yeah, with totally. Bono's, you know, whatever we yeah. want to say about his, uh, his um, philanthropy. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, his his persona, his philanthropy, yeah. all that stuff. But anyway, I mean, so dude, where, where the streets have no name is one of my one of my right. all time favorite songs. It's so, got such a cool lead in, such everything about right. it. It's just that's like I. I have a delay pedal for my guitar that I pretty much never use except to like play the intro to where the streets have no name by <laughs> myself. Awesome. You know what I mean? Cause like, I don't use That's it on amazing. anything I've really done, but I was like, it's important to have this so that you can pretend like you're the edge for two minutes, <laughs> for you know? Minutes, um, yes. But the, I, so I heard, I hear some of that in like, th- there is, th- there's this kind of like epic buildup and some delay and echo that I think, the Joshua tree really made use of. Cause that's the thing. They make everything sound huge. Right. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I found out, and then I'm curious your take. So this is one of the songs that was co-written. Right? Yes. Um, I've got a little bit of on that. So you probably know more than me, but one little factoid I found is this co-writer played with Neil Diamond for 17 years, um, which I feel like that's, that kind of makes sense too, given yeah. that there's just a little uh-huh. bit of that kind of like, I'm putting on a show yeah. <laughs> in, in this, right? But well, tell he, me more. Uh, he worked with Mark Knopfler too. Sick. Um, yeah. And he worked with Emily Lou Harris. Also, we missed this. He associate produced on Guitar Town and co-produced Exit Zero. And I Feel All Right, which we'll get to at some point. And oh. uh, he straight produced So You Want to Be an Outlaw. So this is one of Steve's like closest so this guy's, dudes. Yeah, this yeah. guy's going to be coming back. Um, um, Tony Baker? Things, What's his name? Uh, Richard uh, Bennett. Richard, Richard, yeah. Richard Bennett. Um, one of the things, so the things, the my my thoughts on this song, the song sounds like a soundtrack for a John Hughes film, musically at least. Totally. Can totally hear that. Yeah. And I wrote, I think, and which is, you know, us talking about co-writer and whatnot. And I said, I think this is a song, or I think I like this song, but it doesn't really sound like Steve. 
Yep. I and agree. That's one of the other things I've got on it. So I totally agree. So yeah, um, I think that's that's pretty much all I've got for it. Same. Um, and when I think that's a good transition too, though, into once you love, because what I wrote down about this one is now we're back in Steve's wheelhouse. Yeah. Like this feels more like, you know, a really good, solid country rock song. It sounds like it um, could have been on a guitar town or exit zero. I agree. Um, it yeah. doesn't have the bite that side a has, but it's not as out of place in what Steve's done so far as you belong to me or waiting on you feel yeah. agreed. Um, and yeah, again, I don't have like the, I mean, the, the lyric, the lyrics stand out when I say they're not substantive. I don't mean that as an insult. It just means like we have clearly seen from Steve, even at this point, only on the third record in what a goddamn poet and storyteller he is. Right. Yeah, dude, I'm reading the lyrics so, right now. The re- lyrics are really fucking good. Like he's, so he, he can choose when he wants to be like, I'm trying to write a hook in a love song. And when I'm trying to tell a story, even if that story might alienate some people. Right. Um, And so that's a lot of what side B is. And I think, you know, this kind of falls into that category for me as well. For for sure. What I wrote, I said, this song falls into a bucket of Steve songs I can sit through, but doesn't really get me going like any of the others. Yeah. They're not memorable and they're not like, they don't perk me up in the same way. Like I do like the riff in the verses. Yes. But the music and the choruses, nothing for me. I There's nothing for me. It I agree. Me. But the yeah. the riff in the in the choruses is, is 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 actually good. I mean, really, like Copperhead Road, his biggest record, not even in my top five. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's not even in my top five because records when you there is just such a contrast between. I mean the it's feast or famine and so many yep. of his other records have great songs mm-hmm. through and through yep. whereas this one has some of his absolute best but also some of the very few tracks in his entire catalog that i'd say feels like filler yep. um and you know so which i think is a good lead into nothing but a child right so was it is, written for this record it wasn't that makes sense was it written for like a christmas thing it was or? written for uh the oakridge boys were gonna do another christmas album Dude. so he wrote for their uh their um imp- or their uh he was like a writer in their like label like you could pitch you know where you, yep. you wrote for other people mm-hmm. so he wrote this song to pitch to them for a christmas record it didn't get picked i do like like i do like hearing him talk about this song yeah and like in like explain it like because he, he told this story like what i'm saying i'm regurgitating from when i saw him on the, the 30 year anniversary mm-hmm. of this uh tour for this record um but uh and he you know he said that he almost has this pitch for this song like rehearsed where i've, I've seen him say it in this exact way multiple times where he tells a story about how you know this was you know pitched for that didn't get picked but you know he still like threw it on copperhead road because i i literally think he probably contractually needed 10 songs you needed 10 songs <laughs> you needed 10 songs. and the time it came it came out in the fall so christmas wasn't that far away yeah. <laughs> when the release happened yeah but he said that when they were uh when they were writing these songs uh or when they had to write these christmas songs it was july so like there were yeah. people like putting up christmas lights and christmas trees to like try to get in the christmas spirit and he was like fuck all that i'm not gonna do that but but he was like trying to think of something to uh 
like Christmassy. And one of the things he landed on is like, you know, like, uh, like Christmas is, is for kids. Yeah. And it, and it started with one kid. And then that was him, you know, mm-hmm. thinking to write about, you know, the one kid, which I also I, like, I do think like one of the things that as a person who like wasn't raised religious has never been religious and haven't ever had any interest in becoming religious. Um, I do appreciate Steve's ad- adherence to like a religious like and spiritual nature like the fact that he can write a song about christ the fact yeah. that he can write songs about god in other but i don't think it's ever it's never written from that place of you know like it's like domineering the way yes. god feels like it is in other country music mm-hmm. um and and is uh preachy right i mean and may- maybe that's why the Oak Ridge boys didn't want it because they either want holly jolly santa claus or uh like we bow our knee and worship you know like so and and this occupies just a more nuanced spot like i wrote you know tyler that context i didn't know that but it makes so much sense to me um i got a soft spot for this song and like similarly you got a child too though dude i was gonna (laughs) mention that right there is like a so i have this um I also, I am not religious, but um, formerly was, and I think I'm very much influenced by both sort of like the Irish Catholic tradition of a lot of people in my family and the more just like fundamentalist evangelical Christianity that I was around just being in the Southern United States, right? Um, and uh, Zayo rules. So that's, that helps too, you know? So what, what, <laughs> One of my, one of my favorite jokes that people say uh, when they say like I'm not religious, I was Catholic. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I was raised Catholic, so I'm not religious, dude. Hundred <laughs> percent. And th- there is something too, though, around like, you know, I understand. I mean, there, you know, obviously with Christianity and so many religions, there's so many different sects and influences and whatever. But like, I appreciate. You know, I'm one of those people that still finds some of the symbolism in Catholicism meaningful, not because I think it actually connects to any real spiritual thing, but because it like, it reminds me of my grandmother, you know, or something yeah. like that, like mm-hmm. putting when she was on her deathbed, like putting the prayer card there next to her and like seeing her rosary, like there's just something around like, because what it hits on, and I think that's what this song gets is everybody starts as a fucking baby every baby is completely helpless. And so this like, um, and that's what's hitting too with me having a kid now, right? Is this idea of this, the symbolism of this all powerful being called God, if that's what you believe in, making the decision of like, I want to experience the world the way that the things I've created have to. So I have become this like helpless baby pissing and shitting itself and relying on everyone around them to take care of them. Like, I don't believe that's literally true, but I think that's a powerful symbol. Yeah. So there's, there's something here about the, like, you know, yeah, the, like every mother kind and every father proud it's cheesy, but I got a soft spot for it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think I, I feel, I feel very similarly and hell I've talked to like, I talked to Rachna about this a lot because you mentioning like Steve's, you know, sort of some of the like spiritual undergirdings, right? But that don't ever feel domineering or preachy or anything like that. 
And it makes me like, I admit my own bias when I hear like, um, when I hear like a working class or poor black person in this country talk about their faith um, and seeing part of that as like a source of liberation. Oh yeah. I'm very like empathetic to that and oh. very much like seeing that. And when I hear rich white folks, you know, talk about the same God or book or anything in a very different way, I am like very much like, shut up, I'm going to burn your church down, mm -hmm. you know? So like, I admit my own thing here, my own, whether you call them biases when it comes to religion, but that's one where I think, when I think of Steve, where he's from, and I think about this with addicts and people in recovery. And, you know, I've thought about that even sometimes with my own mom, where I'd be like, I would be thrilled if she got super religious, because even though I don't vibe with all of it, uh, if she could find some meaning to help her yeah. stay clean, you know, that would, that would be an asset. And so as long as it ain't hurting anybody else, go for it, you know, and yeah, I, yeah. I get some of those vibes from Steve, um, just based on all the shit he's been through um, and the road to recovery. So yeah, it's like, yeah, it, it is very much the like, oh yeah, and here's this Christmas song at the end. And I totally think you're probably right on with your theory of like, had to get 10. Yeah, it, it literally, the song just sounds tacked on. It, it sounds, sounds tacked, tacked on. on, totally. Um, like he could, you know, but I, I will say that even as much as it feels tacked on, I like it more than a couple of the other songs that came before it, just in terms yeah, of- Yeah, like, I mean, this the, is the one, this is the one I would lose. Yeah off the record but at the same time like i it could be just because you're my friend but you talking about appreciating it in ways that i'm like i'm like well i'm taking another look at the lyrics well and, you know i'm kind of seeing how like some of it's very I mean, sweet and like the the sentiment is you know like i and also i'm just what, a sucker i'm just dude same way like i'll go from this and being like oh yeah blah 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 and then an hour from now i'll read something about you know how we're finding you know more bodies of indigenous children buried behind <laughs> yeah, yeah. residential uh -huh. Catholic schools yeah, and be yeah. like, no, nope, we need to burn all of them down yeah. literally mm -hmm. yesterday. Uh, so yeah, I think there's just, yeah, there's a soft spot for the symbolism, but also fuck them. Um, yeah, for sure. The last um, thing I wrote about this is it's a song that's been covered a lot. Um, there were like a lot of notable, you know, like countryish names. And it made me think as I was listening to Steve sing nothing but a child, man, I'd love to hear Garth do this song. Um, I think he'd do it really well. Oh, yeah. he's, he's certainly got I plenty of other shit that. to do. Um, but yeah, so that is at least track by track. That is Copperhead Road, a, an amazing record, but a record of contrasts, man. Oh, one thing I did want to show you, um, yeah. because I talked about it, that Jason the Scorchers record I got. Yeah. Is this one, it's uh, Fervor is what it's called. And it's got, uh, it's got a cover of uh, Absolutely Sweet Marie yes um and i it looks like a couple other covers on here but i don't recognize who that what they uh help there's a fire and i can't help myself which i'm not sure what those are oh no no those look like those are just oh i think it's songs off of another release i think Got this it. is this is like a combination of stuff but yeah that's so cool. That was cool. I'm I'm excited to to listen to it. Yeah, I love it because I did listen to the first record. And I was like, "Fuck, I can hear how this fits in with with Steve, yeah. and he could have gone out and rocked with these guys." Yeah, dude, there was some there was some special shit going on in this period in the '80s. You know, like, um, and you know, some of it has endured, and some of it's kind of gotten lost to time. And I think Jason and the Scorchers, 
are, you know, like I can say this quick, they're nowhere near the level of what Steve Earle is or oh, some no, of the other no. acts, but I think they, they're worth a listen for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's worth putting it on my shelf <clears throat> record. It's a cool I record. Found it for yeah. 10 bucks and why, That's not? Awesome. why the fuck not? Yeah. And I'm glad you bought it too, because, you know, I think I should, most of my familiarity with Jason and the Scorchers was like through, you know, like burnt CDs that my friend Brian Hartley was making for me, you know, so um, I don't think I actually ever physically owned any of their records on CD or vinyl. Um, so I'm so glad you picked that up. Yeah, me um, too. I think this uh, this copy of Copyright Road I have is a original first press too. They Dude. must have pressed a million of these because I got I did not pay much for this at a record store. I also got this at a record store at an indie record store in Louisville, just digging through. That's so cool. Yeah, I was well, stoked. I mean, speaking of that and about Tyler's collection, so you know, we have an Instagram account, Hardcore Troubadour. Um, by the time you're hearing this. I think it'll be super active. It'll, it'll, it'll I, I be up and there will be several several posts. I made it. It's there and shirts, and it's got a it's got a random handful of followers with e- even my line just being like episodes to come. So there's some real Steve heads waiting on it that hopefully <laughs> hopefully don't lose uh, their attention span uh, before we start rocking and rolling with these. But um, well, Tyler, this has by far been our longest episode. Yeah, we knew this was gonna happen. We knew it was gonna be. Um, but I just wanted to, again, thank you for listening, whether this was, you know, you're the first time you tuned in and spent some time with us. I hope that, uh, you learned something or if nothing else, you appreciated getting to hear from two other dorks who love total fucking dorks, total dorks who love Steve, love, uh, radical leftist working people politics and uh, love hardcore music. So all those things are, are much more connected than one might think at the beginning. And I'm so glad to have Copperhead Road out of the way. I cannot wait to talk about the hard way. Dude, me either. I'm I so cannot excited. fucking wait. Literally, I've been I've been holding off listening to it because I know once I started listening to it, I wouldn't be able to think about this to talk about Copperhead Road. Amazing. I would only be thinking about the hard way because it is, it is, I believe in my top five. Love it. It's, it's up there for me too. And I've got a lot of like, I think we'll just have a lot of stories to tell too. Cause I have Fuck a lot yes, of like dude. personal stories connected to some of the songs. So, yep. That'll be next. Uh, the hard way, but thanks for listening to hardcore troubadour. Peace. Yes, thank you guys so much. <laughs>